and welcome to the Scene and Nerd Podcast. Tonight we are talking all things about TV and film. With me, as always, is our Mr. Producer, Will Polk. How are you doing tonight, Will? I am doing well, Sarah. How are you doing this evening? I am here and alive, so I think that's doing all right. Yeah, hey, that's right. On the right side of the ground. On the right side of the ground. And Patricia is still hiding out in shame, but she should come out of her crawl space soon enough and tell us about what she has been up to. And we do have a special co-host tonight who is going to be joining us. And you may have seen her on the Netflix hit series, Stranger Things, or alongside Michael Fassbender in the critically acclaimed Steve Jobs film, but she is now taking a break from working in the indie film scene to talk about some of her favorite films and TV shows. So welcome to the show, Jackie Dallas. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Jackie. How are you this evening? I am doing awesome. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I'm glad that everything worked out and I was able to make it. (laughs) And I have to admit, as soon as you said you're doing awesome, this song, Everything is Awesome, popped into my my head. Oh, my God, yes. So, that song is never going to leave your head now. You just started nope. something. <laughs> All podcast long. Uh, <laughs> Everything uh, is awesome. I'm just going to bring out into uh, song randomly. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. This is the first. This is the first. You brought, you brought, you brought out the, the singing Sarah. Oh, dear. Everything is awesome. Sorry. <laughs> See, I would totally volunteer to sing, except I can't. I'm, uh, I'm not a singer, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm not either, so I, I will. I, I want people to stick around, so I will. I will not. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I like to think about it more as like slam poetry is what I do. I just say the words with enthusiasm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, so we are still on hiatus from the Flash, Arrow, and all of our loved, beloved CW shows. But we do have an update on what we're currently watching during this hiatus. Will, why don't you start us off and tell us about Fortitude? Great, great. Yes. Uh, So as our listeners know, I uh, initially tried uh, during the break to watch uh, Man in the High Castle. Uh, Too dark, too too heavy for me to stick around with. So I decided to try another Amazon series, which is uh, Fortitude. Heard a lot of good things about it. And um, made it into um, the first couple episodes, and I got to admit, I almost failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first episode was really interesting, really, really cool. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for the folks who uh, aren't familiar with Fortitude, essentially it's a town in the uh, Nor- uh, Norway. It's a fictional town. Uh, it's a sort of psychological thriller. Uh, at the end of the first episode, there was a, a mysterious death. There's always one. And um, as in episode two, they were trying to figure out what was going on. Um, and honestly, it was just so many different plot threads that were just getting thrown about. That just got very frustrating until Stanley Tucci showed up. And mm-hmm. Stanley save the show. I was, <laughs> I was so ready to bail, but 
after he, he showed up in the last maybe 15, 20 minutes. Um, right. And, um, yeah, I was like, okay, I uh, will stick around. I'm going to stick around with this one. It, 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 it seems promising. Grant, it's, granted, it's now in the season two, but, uh, of course, we're watching season one right now. So that's that's my hi- hiatus update. How many episodes are there? Um, I think, uh, usual, I think 10, uh, in season one. And then I think, I think there's another 10 in season two. I know Dennis Quaid joined the cast, um, in season two. So, um, yeah, so I, obviously I, it's, it's one of those shows that, um, I might be able to binge a couple episodes in an evening, but, uh, like I said, it's, uh, I, I was, I was very close to hitting stop on mm-hmm. the, the remote until mm-hmm. until Stanley showed up and saved the day. It's amazing Jackie. how one character can do that, or one actor can do that. <laughs> right, yeah. And and Stanley Tucci is definitely a actor who keeps me watching, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Jackie, do you have an episode rule when you're starting to watch a series of how many you watch until you're like yeah I'm gonna actually check out now it's not working yeah I feel like I usually will give it two episodes I'll usually give it two episodes if I'm on the fence I'll go to like three or four but I think within two episodes you kind of get the idea like the characters have been introduced already they're starting to move towards whatever their plot arc is going to be um and you've got a good sense of like what the vibe what the tone of the show is so right. after two episodes, if I'm not hooked by it, um, no, I'm not saying I'm not going to watch it. I have a lot of shows that I'll just turn on in the background while I'm doing work. Um, yep. And it might fall into that category. <laughs> it all it all kind of depends. Yeah, I, I do that same thing mm-hmm. because I watch pretty much all of my shows on my laptop. So mm-hmm. if I'm more focused on whatever what other web page I'm looking at rather than actually just watching the show I'm like yeah this isn't really working out (laughs) (laughs) no yeah yeah I've got um my desk I've got like two screens I've got two computer screens and one of them is like delegated just for tv shows just for Netflix just for Amazon just for Hulu Mm -hmm. um it's surprising that I get any work done, honestly. <laughs> yeah, well, it becomes white noise. Surprising. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I couldn't do homework while watching TV simultaneously, but I, I'm i right there with you where sometimes I'll have two laptops open and one will be airing a show or a podcast or something and the other one is for work. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it is. And then you know that you get suckered into a show when you look down and you realize you haven't typed anything in about 20 minutes. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. And um, to go off of Will's point, though, about kind of starting a show and just quickly making those snap judgments, I started this show Better Things, which is a 30-minute dramedy on FX over Mm -hmm. the weekend. Hmm. 10 episodes, kind of short. I felt like I probably shouldn't have paid the full price for the full season. <laughs> I kind of regret it. Yeah, you just like, you, you paid the money, now you're just like, hang on, I'm best it now. 
Yeah, and I was I watched an interview with Pamela Alden, who is the not only the showrunner, but she's also the star, and this is her baby. And I was really interested in her as an actress and a character and seeing what it was all about. Mm-hmm. Um, Note Will, guess who was also in that interview that I watched? Ooh. Just guess. Mm. Yes. Sterling K. Brown. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> he's in so much right now. I'm he's obsessed. just like, yeah, he's so good. I'm obsessed. But so it's essentially about her raising her three daughters, which mm-hmm. I thought was kind of a cool thing that you don't typically see. You typically see the father raising multiple daughters as opposed to the mother. So I... I don't know, guys. I'm not sure if I'm recommending it, but it's out there. And if you're curious about it, you should check it out. I don't know. Oh, wait. That. I think I know the show you're talking about. It's from the uh, it's the girl from Californication, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, I've been wanting to watch this show. It looks really funny. Huh. It looks I think I'm really... going to add it to the list. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But just forewarning... I have a feeling the jokes you see in the trailers are all of the jokes in the show. Oh, uh, uh, they show everything up front, huh? It's, yeah, where it leaves, the show ends the first season on a very interesting note. So mm-hmm. it kind of makes you curious about the second season and how the show's going to evolve. But again, this goes back to my original point. It probably would have done better had it been a longer format so instead of 30 minutes maybe an hour long episode I see mm-hmm. but because there were more dramatic elements than funny moments even right. though the actress is a comedian and probably does like prefer comedy over drama there is some interesting stuff that she has to deal with with her each daughter because each right. daughter has an arc um but <laughs> On top of that, I also binge watched Glow on Netflix about oh. the female wrestlers. Yes. Oh yeah. I've that. seen ads for that. That looks really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is uh, a so, surprise. See, okay. Is it so good? I, I, it's good. Oh, Go ahead, so. I'm so excited. Yeah. So see, Sarah's back to back to the WWE world. <laughs> <laughs> so when the, when the summer never... first started, Sarah decided she 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 uh. Always, you know, talks about the beauty of YouTube and mm-hmm. uh, and, and and YouTube. She, she was a big fan of uh, uh, Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation and stuff. So she was like watching old videos of like you know John Cena and The Rock and stuff. So and I had a bet she was going to get a subscription. So it's not. I know I didn't still haven't won the bet, but. <laughs> exactly true i just got caught up on like the last four years of wwe in one sitting <laughs> which made me feel a little bit nostalgia of when i was in middle school watching it so you know what well you got the story wrong oh. i expect an apology i apologize mm-hmm. okay <laughs> no no laying down the smack down there <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly okay the ladies of glow all right <laughs> um so, so yes, Jackie, it is a good show that you should raise to high priority on your to watch next list because it it 
surprised me in the sense that there's a good contrast between how these wrestlers who are female are both empowered by the profession and Mm -hmm. exploited simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And then it also goes into this area of showing how they're playing these characters, whether they're the hero or the villain in the ring, and how those characters reflect who they are in real life Mm -hmm. and who they want to be in real life. And so it's this, I mean, we've all heard those quotes about, well, everybody's an actor in life where like we all play our part. Um, And this show kind of brings that more to fruition, which I thought was excellent and I really enjoyed. Uh, Okay. Yeah, it sounds really intriguing. Yeah, I liked it. And it's in the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) And it does not hide that fact. (laughs) (laughs) I know. The trailers were so colorful. It was so great. (laughs) The hair. The Uh hair. (laughs) The shoulder pads are there, too. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys know I love all things 80s, so, you know... 80s shows. (laughs) Oh, this might be just it. So, Jackie, what have you been watching lately? So, gosh, you know, one of the issues I have is, like, time, right? So there's so many good shows out there right now. Um, I'm still just playing catch-up, honestly. Um, Trying to catch up on my list of shows that I want to watch. There's a bunch of them. Um, Finally finished, like, Breaking Bad. Went through This Is Us cried so much and hated myself every night for it yeah. and uh, I just got done watching Jessica Jones which yeah. that is like probably one of my favorite you know season one series with kick-ass women yes. oh can I say that oh <laughs> yes yes, <Okay>. yes. <laughs> but yeah so slowly but surely working my way through my my Netflix queue um, um yeah go ahead why did Jessica Jones um, hit you the way it did? Like, what stood out? So, I really liked that one. It was a kind of a, well, she's not even really a superhero. She's just, she's a person with powers. And she her character is, like, so flawed in so many ways. Um, I don't know. She's like, she's like the underdog hero to me, but then she's like this woman who is dealing with her issues, you know, her real, like, you know, girl issues. And uh, I don't know. I just really like kick-ass girls. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's enough said. Yeah. It's just so good. It's just like, she's relatable. You know, she shows you that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to like always do the right thing to be a good person. Um, you don't even have to be a good person to do the right thing. Like there's so many like paradoxes to her. Um, but yeah, the story and how she like desperately wants to create these relationships, but she's so scared to, and she just walks away from it. Um, yeah, I think it introduces a lot of good side characters. Yes. Like Pam. Yeah. Oh my God, Pam the up. murderer. <laughs> Every time I see them, it's just so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. I actually, I was in London a couple of weeks ago, and David Tennant, who plays Kilgrave, he had a a short, limited running, like, um, 
uh, I guess it's not called Broadway over there, like the West End um, mm-hmm. Theater District. He had a, a had a show running over there called Don Juan in Soho. Huh. Of course. It was really, really offensively entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what's what's it about? <laughs> so he's he's a Don Juan, right? He's uh-huh. just this playboy, and um, I mean, the very first scene opens right into that. And um, the interesting thing about it is he's got his um, assistants, I guess, assistant chauffeur, um, girl wrangler, drug getter. Mm-hmm. He is like fighting the battle of like, does he continue working for this man when he's such a horrible person? He like ruins lives, ruins relationships. This girl falls in love with him and just like, you know, he destroys her. And at the end, it's like, not to, well, I mean, I guess I can ruin it. The show's over. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead. The assistant ends up realizing like he can't walk away because he's also enamored by Don Juan and at the end all of his all the people that he's hurt it comes back to him and you think from moments that he's going to have his like clarity his reflection his his conscience and he's going to apologize and he's going to turn a leaf but he just he goes out kicking and swimming like swinging (laughs) (laughs) completely unapologetic to his ways and it was an interesting ending so I don't think most, you know, there's like no moral to the story. Right. So yeah. the villain Don Juan died mm-hmm. Don Juan. He like Correct. stayed. The, stayed. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. It was like built up the music and the tears and everything. And you really thought he was going to have that moment. But no. No, he stayed true to who stayed true to himself. He stayed true to himself. It was it was it was really entertaining <laughs> right. I was like dancing around in his underwear I was like wow that's David Tennant I've seen him on TV so many times <laughs> yeah it, he, it still sounds like he's just playing another version of Kilgrave though it kind of does right yeah in a way in a way <laughs> offensively entertaining that's Kilgrave <laughs> he is seriously is <laughs> um, I I'm right there with you. Like besides the kick-ass women on Jessica Jones and all of the female characters that they allowed to be in that universe that they set up and to have real arcs, um, I love how the gender or the genre bending that they did in context of that show with the film noir elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Officer Simpson drove me crazy during when I first watched the season and then I rewatched the season and I realized the character that he was playing and he is that kind of the male protagonist in those old um, in those old film film noir um, mm-hmm. movies, except he's encountering a female with powers and abilities and right. And so it kind of makes him feel like out of his element and like he shouldn't be there, but he is there. And how do you handle that? How do you um, salvage being a man in that world when you're encountering a female like Jessica Jones, who is superhuman and um, really strong? So I, I thought what, that was fantastic. 
Yeah, it was a good, like, different perspective, too, right? Because mm-hmm. I feel like the character of Jessica Jones, like I said, good, bad. Um, you know, she's kind of she kind of falls in the middle somewhere. She's like she's a shade of gray in her actions, um, what she stands for. And he was very much a like, you know, black and white, open shut. Had a, he had certain approach to things that was very different from her also. Absolutely. I like. Um, oh, I think it's episode five when they have to team up and mm-hmm. both of them have different approaches to how to go in there and grab Kilgrave. Right, <laughs> right, right. Just, yeah, they, they definitely clashed in their perspectives, but you kind of need that. Um, and speaking about, I feel like we're on a trend and I feel bad, Will, cause I kind of started that cause oh, no. I, I do admit like this weekend, I, I found myself just watching a ton of shows about um with a female protagonist and about um feminism and issues related to feminism and i also (laughs) i don't know i also um binged a handmaid's tale over the weekend Mm -hmm. yes oh my gosh it's so good yeah i love it actually i got mad at myself because i started watching it on like when it had the three or four episodes out, forgetting that Hulu is not a binge um, service. <laughs> <laughs> I totally like, forgot that they release it like one episode at a time. So, yeah, it's like, must get Oh my God, show. I was like so angry. I like binged four episodes. I was like, wait, what? Like, where's the rest of them? Yeah. I, well, I... So I watched the first episode and I was telling Will about this last week that I started it and I turned it off. <laughs> yep, you did. <laughs> Hard to watch. It is. It's a really, really like sensitive subject. See, it, it is a sensitive subject and I was worried about how far they were going to take it. So the mm-hmm. moment that, and I forget her name, but she loses her eye, oh, I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's, no, I don't want to see anything else. Um, and then over the weekend, I watched a fan made video about the relationship between June and Nick. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, hell no, I got to watch this story play out now. <laughs> 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 I'm a sucker for a good love triangle. And so I just, I dove right back in. Oh my gosh. And I don't even know yeah. what kind of shape this would be. There's so many, like, <laughs> so many points to it. Well, yeah, it's it's kind of a square. Only one point I don't count, considering it's the commander, and mm-hmm. that isn't that isn't about love. That's no, it's just purely objective. Very, very much so, and it's about the circumstances of the law that he created and he stands mm-hmm. for and what he wants. So no, I don't count that. And, and to go back to your point about how bad of a subject matter this is um, and how brutal is it? It's kind of under understated brutality though, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the rape scenes, if you compare them to rape scenes that play out in other shows, the violence is much more subdued in the sense that it's clinical 
And right. it's disturbingly silent during those scenes. Right, and right. So you know that everyone involved doesn't want to be there. And they mm-hmm. have no choice but to do this quote unquote ceremony and they just have to get it done. And that's really sickening. It's so, so uncomfortable to watch too, mm-hmm. you know? It's just so like oh, it's so visceral. This entire show is so visceral to me. Um oh. the way that they, you know, not even just the way that they treat them, but like how subtly, like in the flashbacks, how subtly this world came to be, you know, when they do like the small, like when they were in the coffee shop and then the, uh, the coffee, the male barista was like just being so rude to them. Like, what would you do any different in that situation if that was to happen now? You know, you would probably do the same thing. Just laugh it off. Cause you don't know what else to do. Walk out of there, call him an asshole. But at the end of the day, like that's that's how it started. Yeah, that ignorance of what's going on with the laws and how they're changing, mm-hmm. and she's she's completely caught off guard by it, and you can Definitely, tell that. Yeah. And so she's when she's now finding herself in this position, she kind of looks back on it and said, "Why didn't I act out? Why did I know this was happening?" Mm-hmm. And suddenly I'm here now. So I, I think there's a little bit of self-blame you can see in that reaction. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite episode was Faithful, which was um, episode five. Faithful. Okay. Yeah. That's, the, that's when Serena Joy convinces June and Nick that they need to have oh. sex. Yeah, because Commander is probably infertile. Yeah, and that just starts at will. Like, that's the okay. first act. Well. And meanwhile, they're contrasting that with how June met her husband before Gilead was a thing. And how they fell in love, yet he was still married at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you they- can't... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, they played that out, they played that backstory out beautifully, you know? They, like, they told you just enough of the story of him being married. Mm-hmm. You didn't really feel like it was this adulterous situation. You actually, you wanted them to fall in love and be happy. And I thought that was an interesting spin that they put on it. Hmm. Yes, absolutely. It Because you they wanted you to know that there's a difference between this sin she committed before mm-hmm. society changed to the same sin that she's committing now because she's still sleeping with a married man, but society is enforcing it and taking away her choice. And so that mm-hmm. changes sex that changes the intimacy at play in it. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting and fascinating to watch and then on top of that the end of that episode you have her going to Nick and they actually do have sex and it's it comes from desire and want and a need to connect with another person as opposed to being forced to which you see at the beginning of that episode mm-hmm. yeah a lot of things happen in that episode it's really good you know Serena is like such an interesting character too because she is a female and you learn throughout the series that she actually played a huge role in creating the society 
And as soon as the society was formed that she was, you know, pitching for, they kind of cast her aside as well. You know, they gave her a they gave her a green outfit instead of a red one. <laughs> but <laughs> essentially, she's not she doesn't have any power left either, which I, I find really interesting how she's accepting that and just handling that. Um, yeah. You know. I I I thought um so that was all explained in the sixth episode I think a woman's place and I did also agree with you that I that took me by surprise mm-hmm. and I think that added a complexity to it because it would be really easy for them to cast her as this very villainous Um, female character who's just trying to ruin the lives of everyone she's jealous of because they can conceive while she potentially couldn't. I don't know if we ever got a real answer about if it's the reason why her and the commander couldn't conceive was because of him or was because of her. But still, there's just this envy in her that they also allow you to feel empathy, empathy though, because you know she's just as silenced as everyone else. Right, right. I mean, you you have that contrast between how her and her husband figured out, or really she was mastermind behind it, but she gave the idea to her husband, and because he's a man, and because he has power or is mm-hmm. seen to have power, he's really the one that who is now the commander and not her. And she's right. just the woman besides the man. And so y- you see that play out really well. And I, mm-hmm. and, but that also allows you to root for her and not just see her in that villainous light. But. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, wow. It's, uh, I have obviously I've heard of the series, uh, haven't had opportunity to watch it, but you know y'all, I'm making a very com- convincing case to to check it out. <laughs> it's very. You know, I I don't know. Hmm, do you know a lot of men that have watched this series? I have not heard um, of no. I, Sarah, I no. like, have you like picked their brain and see like what their perspective is on that? So I'm about to head up home for the long weekend, and I Mm -hmm. I grew up with three brothers and a dad. (laughs) So I'm going to might try to get them to watch it, but I have to be honest here. So when I say I watched it, I watched it, but I watched probably 80% of it, considering it is slow. It is. Mm-hmm. It, there are certain episodes that I just was like, la la la. I understand. <laughs> Skip. <laughs> Skip. And to go back to that character with the eye, please help me out here, Jackie. Because yeah. was it just me, or did it feel like she was normal, and then she lost her eye, and she became batshit crazy? Well. I think that definitely had a huge element to it because that was her coping mechanism, right? I can see how, I can see how in the beginning when her character was introduced, um, Janine, I think is her, like her real name. And then um, off Warren is who she became when she got handmaided out. Um, She was, she was super sassy in the classroom, right? right? Like day one, she was fighting back and she was saying things. And I think there is a certain, I think what they were trying to establish is that she wasn't stable or she wasn't 
like aware enough of what was going on to recognize Mm -hmm. that sometimes you just need to like bide your time. If that makes sense, you know, her, like she was mouthing off and she was causing trouble and, you know, um, aunt, what was her name? You know, the lady in charge, you know, she, she cattle prodded her and she like kind of still didn't really get it, you know? And so, and it was day one, right? Like, I think this is the first day that all the girls were gathered together. So well, it it was day one for Alfred. It was her first day that that played out. I don't know how long. I think she actually did come in with Alfred, but yeah. I think it was just like right off the bat. They just want to set a very strict (laughs) example and like ruling by fear is, is very effective. Right. Um, and then so right. like back to what you were saying, like, I don't know if she had all of her wits about her because clearly all the other girls in the room, I mean, you can attribute it to fear or cowardice or whatnot, but I think the strategic thing to have done at that point was probably not, you know, make yourself a target right off the bat. And maybe right. everyone has a different opinion. That's just what I think. So losing the eye. <laughs> <laughs> Like, how does that happen? Why? Um, I think a lot of her, like, you know, kind of spiraling downwards out of control, I think that was a coping mechanism. She, you know, she just couldn't deal with her, you know, the reality of the world that she lived in. Yeah. The reality of the body that's slowly, bit by bit, being taken away from her. Right. Um, yeah. Which could, I mean, you you make valid points and how it's used as a foil for Offred's story, who is kind of comes into the situation very quiet, very timid, very unsure. And slowly, as she learns how to play this game to survive, she adjusts mm-hmm. and you see her evolve and you see you her do. become much more. Um, able to make stronger moves to get ahead and to figure out a way out because she doesn't want to live this life forever and she gets frustrated when she realizes other people are fine and just want to like lower their head and say you know what this is the way the world works now and that's okay by me and she's like what the hell guys no right they did introduce a good like um Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? They they had a very broad scope of the different characters that played the handmaids. Like you said, there's the one girl who replaced um, Alexis Liddell's character. Uh, off, mm-hmm. off, oh, all the names are starting to blur together for me. Um, but the new girl, she implied that this life is better than the life that she left. Yeah. So she was happy with it, and she was good keeping her head down. But then look at Moira, right, mm-hmm. her best friend. She was very outspoken before. She was very sassy. She could have very well been Janine losing her eye, but she knew getting in there, even subtly, like shaking her head at, um, you know, June, like, this is not the place. You know, keep your head down here. Bide your time. Let's come up with a strategy because we are outmanned, outnumbered. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a losing, you know, you're just going to become a martyr at that point. Right. I mean, for me, I mean, given all of those points, retrospectively, they make a lot more sense. But at the time, as I was watching it, for whatever reason, all I saw is 
um, exposition, exposition, exposition. <laughs> I'm just like, I get it. It's a horrible place. <laughs> Let me see what's Nick up to now. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Nick. Yeah. So, and to go back to your original question is, um, I'm not sure if my dad or my brothers would have enough attention to stick with the show long enough to get really invested because I don't think, I think the first few episodes are really a slow burn and it takes to about episode three, four, and then definitely five for the drama and the complexity to really start to come to life. Okay. Men just have short attention spans. Yeah. I've been sitting back here enjoying my popcorn hearing you guys talk about this. It's just like, <laughs> oh man okay well check out A Handmaid's Tale if you have the uh, attention span <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. it I thought it was really worth watching and I got really into it I think it's a really relevant show you know all things considered current times Yeah. Um, eye opening gives a different perspective you know was, was that a pun Eye-opening. Oh yes. Uh, was, <laughs> I see. I see what you did there. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> oh, let the eye jokes begin. <laughs> oh. Yeah. What are you talking about here, you know. <laughs> Let's see what's next on the list. Okay. <laughs> so. Jackie, now that we've gone through all of our shows and we've talked about some of the things you've been watching, I also understand that you're currently not only an actress, but you're starting to do production and produce a film called Look Into the Fire. Yes, yes. I'm super excited about this project, guys. Um, yeah, so I'm I, I'm an actor. <laughs> I've never, um, you know, claimed to be a director or producer of this sort before, but how this happened is living in a smaller market, um, mm -hmm. you know, we, we make a lot of indie films around here, right? Because mm -hmm. we don't get a whole lot of Hollywood stuff that comes this way. Even though I do travel a lot, if I waited for just Hollywood productions, I would be waiting a long time and I wouldn't work very often. So... We do our own. We make our own short films. We make our own feature films, um, you know, our own art. And this group of people, amazing filmmakers that I work with here in the Bay, um, we've made a couple of movies together. And one of the crew members came up to me and asked me if I would be interested in reading the script that he'd been sitting on for three years. Okay. And so I was like, okay. yeah, it's a psychological thriller. I like this kind of show movies. Um, he was like, well, read it and let me know if there's a part you'd like, because I think this should be our next film that we make. And I'd like you to be in it. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Right. Actors love hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> so I read this. I read this story and it was just, the scripts blew me away. It was really good. It had the appropriate amount of like twists and turns and surprises. Um had a good element of suspense, a good element of horror. And I found myself saying, like, you know what? I really want to do this, but I really want to do this, like, the best I can. And I want to, like, 
I want to, what's a word I'm looking for? I really wanted to make it like look like it was a Hollywood level movie, mm. you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one of the major obstacles that we have as indie filmmakers is budget. That's like the number one factor. We all collaborate together. And by collaborate, I mean like work for free. Thank you for that definition. That's like who's turn is it to launch the go the GoFundMe page, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get a lot of other work on the side. These are our passion projects. I guess that's yeah. a better term to say. You know, these are passion projects. These are movies that we get together and we're like, we feel passionately about it. We want to make it. So, you know, we get together on the weekends when we have free time aside from our, you know, our paying jobs and our day jobs and um, you know, over the course of a couple of months, you make this movie and, you know, hopefully it comes out good. But like I said, um, budget is a huge thing. You know, you need money to like rent the proper props, especially if they're big props or expensive props, renting certain locations. Um, a lot of people don't want you coming in with a film crew of like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people and just taking over their joint right. for the day. Um, and then even like actors, you know, like actors, we, we kind of survive on a, on an infrequent, um, budget, so to speak. So, you know, we, we take advantage of, you know, the paid opportunities and traveling opportunities for bigger gigs. And so it's hard to schedule, um, you know, like ongoing shows or movies when you have a large cast and you need to keep everyone in one location for a specific day. So Hmm. instead of trying to do it the indie way, I was like, let me try and do this the, the way that I've come to learn LA, Atlanta, you know, like the, right. the major right. focus. Let me see if I can like pick up any of the things that I've gleaned, any knowledge I've learned about how they run things and how they, you know, execute their movies and see if we can bring that here in practice and, you know, not spend four months trying to make it. Let's, let's make this in a normal, like, you know, one, two month time. Mm-hmm. Let's, mm-hmm hire the people, let's pay people, let's get proper locations. You know, if we're going to film at a hospital, let's actually like get a hospital setting or a clinic setting instead of getting a studio and just putting things on the wall. Um, I really wanted to kind of bring it up to the next level, you know? So I pitched this, basically what I just said (laughs) to the director and he was like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Right. That's great. So That's great. So I signed up. I signed up for something that I really didn't know a whole lot about, but I'm learning so much, guys. I've got good mentors. Um, like I said, the people that I'm working with, they have produced um, multiple movies before. They're available in like you know Best Buy, Walmart, Amazon. So they've got this tried and true formula of making, producing, directing, and then distributing and selling a movie. So they've got the business side of things down. So I was like, this is a, this is a good team. Do you, Jackie, do you think it's important because that you are brave enough to, you're, you're like, I, well, I don't know a lot about it, technically speaking, but I have the passion to step behind mm-hmm. the camera mm-hmm. and to try to uplift these stories is it important for people to do that considering you're both female and then a female in the industry and a person of color i think at the root of it if you are if you are a minority if you mm-hmm. are a female if you are too old you're too young you're too colored you know you whatever whatever the um 
whatever the obstacle is that you have as an actor, you know already how, how the odds are stacked against you. There's not as many roles written for you. So there's not as many roles to audition for, and thus there's not as many roles to get. It's just, it's harder to get your foot in the door. So if you're always waiting for, you know, someone else to write the role for you, you might be waiting a long time. Mm-hmm. I think by learning how to self-produce, self-direct, you know, make your own projects, figure out how that works. I think that's really empowering for any actor because then you can write any role that you want for yourself, you know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you can go and make your own opportunities basically. And if you make a good enough opportunity, you'll get seen for it as opposed to waiting for something that honestly might never come, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. YouTube is a magical place. <laughs> YouTube is. <laughs> it's, it's hard on YouTube too, though. You know, it's like, there's so many people out there that are doing it. Um, and the attention span and the demographic is a little, and it's a slightly different art form too, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, it, it makes sense. Um, but so, because Will was telling me that you, because he's followed you longer than I have on Twitter, um, but you do, you do have been really outspoken about the need of more representation in both film and TV. Mm-hmm. And by you stepping behind the camera, I can see how that will give you more credibility, more power potentially in the stories that you can help tell and make sure that representation happens. Definitely. And that was one of my biggest priorities when I took on this project also. Um, mm-hmm. The script was great. The story was great. Um, I mean, there's a reason why I like fell in love with the project, but I made it a priority to kind of balance the scales a little bit more. Um, also, the, the main character is a male. Um, I don't think the story would work with it being a, I mean, it could still work. I'm not saying it won't, but Mm -hmm. it just, it kind of has a flow to it. And I'm, I'm willing to let that, that one go. (laughs) I don't need to win every battle, (laughs) but I did tweak. We did over a series of revisions on the script. We did tweak the characters so that we actually have three strong females, um, in lead roles. Yeah. I was looking Mm -hmm. at the casting sheet. Yeah. Yeah. We have three lead male roles and we have three lead female roles. Um, and they're not a cliche, um, you know, walk on, have a very two dimensional character and walk off. They're characters that are close to the main character, influences decisions, influences feelings. Um, there, there's really a history behind all of the characters and their interaction with the main character. Um, a couple of the characters were written for male. And I was like, this could totally be female. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no reason why this can't. So a lot of um, smaller roles became female roles just because it was a very easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of the roles I'm trying to introduce more of a, not just, you know, male-female diversity, but also uh, lesbian, gay, bi. I'm also introducing that element to it as well. Nice. So. We're keeping a very open mind with the casting, which we're going to be doing next week. Um, one, one, yeah. one question I have for you, because I, you know, I was reading your article that you that you that you sent to us, um, uh, and also just some of the things you you know said on Twitter and Instagram and other places. Um, in, in developing your story, 
how what are you doing as far as trying to keep it from being uh, the the forced you know gay character or the for, forced Asian character mm-hmm. and just having it be a very natural you know this is how our society looks today. Um, that's a great question. The okay, so the male gay character that I'm thinking of, it never really gets addressed. Um, it's like, we don't, we don't force any relationships Mm -hmm. that aren't there. Um, it's just kind of more of a impression and there's subtle things that he'll say in certain situations. I feel like when you watch it, you'll know. Yeah. But it's, but we're trying not to fall into the cliche. Like he's not going to walk on screen and just do a hand flip. You know, or my favorite one um, in recent big budget films was I'm a huge Star Trek fan. And so, uh-huh. oh, you know, it, no. yeah, <laughs> I got to bring it in one show. Got to work it. <laughs> <laughs> but Sulu, I mean, it was like, you know, with, uh, it, with Sulu when they were um, and, and Star Trek Beyond, you know, of course, you know, hat yeah. tip to George the guy. They just blatantly just had, you know, you know, the. The spouses meet each other. Sulu and his husband meet each other in your face, and it seemed very forced instead of, you know, natural. You know, you know, it's, yeah. instead of this yeah, real life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we're gonna. I think we're gonna try and stay stay away from that. I mean, this is a psychological thriller. We're gonna have enough surprises. Mm-hmm. We don't need to surprise you with just pairing two random people up. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and, I feel um, like happens and it's just like i don't know i I feel like it takes you out of the show sometimes you know yeah yeah. um i can name a couple of tv shows that i've watched where i was like wait what like i didn't see that coming there's nothing wrong with it but i just didn't see it coming you know yeah Um, yeah can can you name them i'm curious now if i've seen them um so i i love this show um how how to get away with murder with viola davis yeah Yes. yes so They've introduced, like, the gay guy character, right, one of the students. And, you know, that's fine. He was established that way. It's fine. But then I will say I was totally, totally caught off guard when um, Viola Davis's character turned out to have a lesbian past. Yes, I agree. um, What's her name? Um, I can... Jean Grey. Jean Grey, I know. Jean Grey from X-Men. Okay, that's what we're going to go with. She shows up at the door, and you're like, oh, this is like a friend from the past, like another lawyer friend, and all of a sudden they start making it, and you're like, whoa, that was was an introduction. (laughs) That was was weird. (laughs) I remember that episode. (laughs) Yeah, it took me out of it, because I was like, I just completely did not... I don't know. I feel like that was a little forced. Um, well, that I mean, that's one example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. One example of a TV, TV show doing it right, I would say, is The 100 on CW. Mm-hmm. Because their protagonist um, main character is Clark, and she's revealed to be bisexual in the second season. And they do it so subtly like you think that's where this relationship is going with between her and another character and it takes a long time to get there it's a slow burn and then it happens and you're like okay makes sense it's not yeah. just a one off like how to get away with murder 
Right, right. And I think like just, I mean, if the if the character is established that way, like your brain's gonna, you're when you start watching this world that's being created in front of you, if the character is saying like this is who I am, you accept that. You know, mm-hmm. this is who the character is. Like Sense8, I'm so angry that I got canceled. Sense8 had a lot of gay characters in it, and I thought every single one of those characters were completely done correctly. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it, but it's funny that Patricia isn't here tonight because yeah. she came on our show talking about Sunset and why people need to get involved with the petitions to renew it. Mm, I think that was one of the biggest mistakes Netflix has made because that show was so incredible on so many levels. It was like cinematically it was eye candy. It was just so much fun to watch. Hmm. And all of the characters had such great stories. Um, like every every character had their arc, you know, and the way they all came together. Um, anyone can watch that show and relate to someone, if not all of them, in one way, shape, or form. And the diversity on that show was amazing. I mean, they literally filmed in like eight different cities around the world. Yeah. So you had a little bit of everyone, and it was just it was so. Ah, it's such a shame that it's not there anymore. So now that you've been both um, in front and behind of the camera, has your appreciation or your favorite part of storytelling changed? Hmm. I think, I think at the end of the day, I'm still a fan of being in front of the camera. Um, I feel like being able to physically tell the story is in, in a lot of ways easier <laughs> than trying to but strategically boss. get everyone else to tell the story for you. Um, so I do like that. I like the being able to, you know, kind of show up just knowing your character, knowing your lines and, you know, not having to worry about the hundred other things that go on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um but I do now definitely have an appreciation for behind the, you know, behind the lens because there is so much that goes into making a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, logistics, just timing wise, scheduling wise, um, even things that you don't even think about, like having to get insurance, having to like lock down certain locations and times, um, making sure, you know, continuity props, like making sure that you have all of these things that you need and then having a person that you trust to like, you know, help you with all of this or having many people that you trust if you have a large crew. Mm-hmm. So, cause everyone, I feel like when you read a script, everyone's got a kind of a slightly different image in their head, right? Everyone kind of pictures it differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's hard to kind of get everyone to like see it the same way and agree to see it the same way. You know, yeah. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, like look at young Han Solo, like there's, yeah differences there's just it's really really it's, it's difficult especially yeah. when you have good competent people who are experienced and good at what they do and they know they're good at what they do and you go in and you're telling them to do it differently they're like well <laughs> <laughs> have you have you found you know yeah have you found now that being behind the camera uh your um you know t- your, your traditional place has been in front of the camera are are do you have an appreciation as far as, and you touched on this um, uh, just now, but uh, like, for example, coming to as far as casting or 
or selecting mm-hmm. a director and everything for your your project. Uh, what are some of the things you've learned from being in front of the camera uh, that has helped shape your approach as you as you pr- produce this uh, this project? Oh wow! Um, so one of the most um, one of the greatest epiphanies that I've had <laughs> during this process. <laughs> I'm just gonna put it that way. As an actor, you hear it all the time. Like, you know, you go to auditions, you nailed it, you did great, and then you don't get the part. And you start thinking, like, why? What did I do wrong? Like, how could I have been better? I screwed up, you know? You start thinking all of these things, and you're you're always told it's not about you, you know? There's a hundred reasons why the casting did not pick you. Maybe you're too short. Maybe you're too tall. Maybe you're too pale. Maybe you're too dark. Maybe you look like they're ex-wife you know like there's a hundred reasons why they didn't choose you even though you could have done an amazing job at your audition one of the things that I've recognized is seeing audition tapes and seeing um you know all of these people people that I know people that I've worked with people that I consider my friends and peers right Mm -hmm. there's that like you know, that emotional side of me that's kind of like, oh, they're so awesome. I want to give you a role. You know, I want you to be in this movie. (laughs) But objectively, they're not right for the part for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe. And it could be it could be as superficial as saying it's aesthetics, you know, like she's got a really good like girl next door look, but we're looking for like a mega bitch who's going to kill someone like, (laughs) you know, like. I understand as an actor, I want to be like, oh, but I can do it. I can show you. Give me the chance. But mm-hmm. when you when you introduce a character on the screen, makeup helps, hair helps, wardrobe helps. But when you introduce a character, you have like five seconds to establish exactly what kind of character that person is. You know, what is their role in this film? Mm-hmm. What is the feeling that I want you to have when you see this character? You know, um, so there's a lot of things that we have to kind of think about. And there's a lot of factors that go into it. Like, I know this person is amazing at what they do, but, you know, they're not good at this or they're amazing at everything else. But they can't they don't they won't look right with this person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it gets it gets complicated in a way that you can't always articulate. You just kind of have this feeling of like, you know, when you watch a show sometimes and you're like, wow, this person was miscast. Yeah. All the time. All the time. You know Sorry. what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is not that they're a bad actor. They're a phenomenal actor. But they're just like, there could be someone out there that could be better for it, you know, mm-hmm. or they're missing some sort of like quality that you want. Um, and maybe, you know, as a director, maybe they didn't elicit that from their actor, but you know, sometimes it's easier to just go with your gut and like what comes at you and you see an audition and you're just like, wow, that's exactly what we were looking for. Um, you got to go with that. Has um, having now worked in the industry, has it demystified anything about your previous love of TV or film? <laughs> um, I... I, I still love watching TV and film. I, I don't think I'll ever stop watching TV and film. <laughs> the one thing that I notice all the time is um, in like really massive like disaster movies or K 
chaotic, crazy, or just bad, rough conditions, I just think to myself, like, oh, those poor extras. (laughs) 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 That's what I think. Wow. Those poor extras are, like, out there slaving away, running, falling, getting beaten up or eaten by monsters and dinosaurs, and they're doing it for minimum wage in, like, 100-degree heat. Oh, I just... I've done my share of those, you know, like, yeah, I, I know what that's like. When San Andreas came through here a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still kind of getting established in the Bay Area as an actor. So I did a lot of extra work. Yeah. I mean, all actors do, whether they admit it or not. I feel like a lot of actors do start out doing extra work. And for San Andreas, um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but, you know, the gist is an earthquake happens and everyone like flees for their life. And we did this Chinatown scene. And I got cast because I fit the billing of a Chinatown person. <laughs> <laughs> no, couldn't, couldn't <laughs> imagine like that at all. There <laughs> <laughs> are like 300 of us. And you just have this obscure cue of like, all right, background, go. And everyone just starts running for their lives. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, it's a hundred, it's like it was like 80 degrees that day. There's hills. There's just so many people running around just trying to – either overact or underact or get out of the way or get in front of the camera or, you know, like everyone's got their own agenda. (laughs) (laughs) We had people passing out because it was hot out. They had to like, you know, sit down and get water. Um, Yeah. There's just a lot of elements. When I was in Atlanta, I kind of checked out a few scenes there um, before I got an agent and Atlanta is brutal. It's like, 95 100 degrees with like 100 percent humidity in the summertime and it was it was rough it was rough being out there so now i'm kind of i see these castings i'm just like "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) we'll let let the new actors take over that one (laughs) um so you've done both indie films and the TV shows, is there a difference between the shooting of a TV show and a film? Yeah. Um, so a TV show, well, timing wise, um, a TV show is on a much, much, uh, more condensed schedule. I feel like they film a TV show, like an episode a week for a half an hour, a half an hour show. Um, I'm not sure for an hour long, maybe they stretch that into two weeks. I'm not exactly sure, but I feel like it's uh, about a week per episode that they give themselves and they have a very strict schedule that they have to stick to. There's no pickups there. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, if it doesn't make it onto the camera, it's probably not going to make it into the episode. Hmm. Um, and also like, even though they don't film chronologically for film and for TV, there's this interesting element of you're still only filming one episode at a time. So from an acting perspective, this is also one of the things I love about TV. You actually get to evolve with your character because you don't know the fate of your character past that episode. Whereas in a film, you know, the entire story from start to finish you know, so yeah. you're like, oh, I die over at page, you know, 72. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't know if subconsciously you start playing into like, oh, I don't trust this character. But, you know, like, you look at it from the character's perspective, right? Yeah. So in a TV episode, you you do, you evolve with the character. You act a little bit more genuinely, I feel. Um, 
just because you don't know. Um, and it, I think it's really cool that with TV, characters can capture the audience in a way so that they get written into recurring roles. You know, they become bigger than what they were intended to be. Right. And I think right. that's a really cool reflection of the actor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how was your experience, speaking of recurring roles, um, you were on season one of Stranger Things, uh, so it's seven, I believe, uh, as, and um, how, does, how do you see, for example, becoming a recurring character, or will you, are you, I don't want you to have to violate any non-disclosure agreements or anything, but... Yeah, uh, well, well uh, <laughs> I couldn't say anything. Yeah. Um, you know, I Netflix is this show's very, very hush hush because it's yeah. such just the nature of it. Um But what was just like shooting yeah, on yeah, on the set of, of Stranger Things and see, seeing this this when you were there, did you ha- have the sense that this was gonna be just the, the breakout hit that it was going to be or or did the cast or crew oh, have that sense? Um you know, I I had no idea. And I'm not saying that like so I was in a, I was in one scene. Um I was, you know, I only had one scene partner, you know, Randy Havens who plays Mr. Clark. Mm-hmm. And it was a very very small like on location. It wasn't on the studio, it wasn't on the set. It was like at some person's house that they rented and completely huh. 85. Um so I didn't have a whole lot of interactions with the rest of the cast. Um, plus with it being a brand new show that no one has heard of at the time. Like I was so excited when I got the casting for it. I was like, I just got booked on stranger things. And everyone's like, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're like, what is that? Why are we like, I don't care. Um, so no one knew what it was. So, and the directors were, were really new, right? The Duffer Brothers, they hadn't really done a whole lot before this show. Um, you know, 21 Laps Entertainment, they were they were getting their groundings. They were still getting their footing. I mean, they're everywhere now. They did um, Stranger Things. They did Arrival. They're on the map now. But at the time, because this filmed, I want to say, October to January, like, last year. Okay. <laughs> so quite a while away. Whiles ago. Um, Wait, the they, they wrote Arrival? 21 Laps. Um, so oh, the, okay. Yeah, the producer, they produced the, the producers, they produced okay. Arrival also. Wow. So, okay, but it. I'm saying, I was just naming like, like the directors, they were relatively new. The production company was relatively new. The actors, with the exception of Winona Ryder, who you know, has been pretty sparse in the Hollywood scene for the last decade or so. Yeah. And David Harbour, who, you know, everyone kind of knew his face. They were like, oh, yeah, that guy. That you know, guy, he's yeah. Doing a ton of stuff. But he was always that guy, right? Yep. yep. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was relatively speaking, you had this, like, show that kind of caught everyone by surprise, you know? But I did know that when I was there on set, one – Everyone was in a good mood, and that says a lot about a production. You know, you step on some sets, and everyone's tense. Everyone is afraid to screw up. Everyone's tired or overworked or underpaid. Um, The director's an asshole. Like, you know, everyone has, like, every set has a vibe, Mm -hmm. and that set was a really, really good set. Everyone loved what they were doing. They were having a good time. They trusted each other. They had faith in the production, and... 
you know, I feel like that energy shows when a lot of people who know the full picture, because I also didn't know the whole um, story arc. I only got the script for episode seven. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know like what was going to happen up until that point. I didn't know the ending. <laughs> <laughs> so I started watching it and I actually halfway through the season, I forgot I was in it. I was getting so into it. Um, <laughs> you see your senior like, wait a hey, second. Hey. Oh yeah. yeah. That, I was like, wait, that still here. Who is that? <laughs> I legit, I got so into it. Um, but yeah, it just, I mean, who would have thought, you know, who would have thought, I mean, everyone who had the full picture. Yeah. They were probably like, you know, we're sitting on something really good here, you know, like mm-hmm. let's really, let's do a good job and make everyone else see this amazing thing and they did they totally executed it like in a great way yeah i think i think that's a great point about it is because stranger things like now since it's uh, dropped on netflix it's become a phenomenon but before then it was unheard of and it's very much in the same style as indie filmmaking where these films are produced and put together with no expectation that it's going to get critically acclaimed or people are going to watch it. And so when you do see an indie film have success, it's like, wow, that was entirely unexpected. Or when you find one on Amazon or Hulu or Netflix these days, you're just like, well, I'm curious. So, and I'm just going to watch it, but I've never heard of this movie before. And sometimes those movies stick with you longer than the big budget movies, mm-hmm. I find. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just with spectacle, glitz and glamour mm-hmm. <laughs> and superheroes. I mean, the amazing thing about Stranger Things is that it, the popularity of the show rose almost entirely word of mouth. Yeah. They yeah. didn't heavily advertise. You know, there were like one or two trailers that came out sporadically. Um, they weren't like, you know, check out Winona Ryder's new show, like, you know, right back to the eighties. Like they didn't, they didn't advertise it in a way that big budget Hollywood stuff does. Right. 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 You know? And I feel like within like two weeks, everyone was just talking about it on Twitter, on Facebook, on, you know, whatever they were having their own like YouTube reviews. Yeah. It was all word of mouth. And that just goes to show like, what a good show it was, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Will, do you have any indie films that you've seen that um, managed to give you that surprise, like a Stranger Things? Um, Not so much surprise, more more coming of age, and I'm not dating myself, but for for (laughs) me, the the independent film that, that... really spoke to me was uh, Swingers uh, back in the mid-90s. Um, uh, you know, of course, now everyone knows John Favreau, Vince Vaughn, uh, but um, when I... I remember watching it, I was think I was a senior, maybe my senior year in college or whatever, maybe when I just started law school. But it was mid-90s, it was a real coming-of-age film because, you know, I knew... I knew a guy like that, or, you know, we were, you know, people, we were all just finishing up school, um, characters in that film, uh, you know, just trying to find yourself, find your place in the world. Uh, to me, that was a film that really was kind of a coming of age kind of like film for, you know, 
for for me and other and my you know contemporaries at the time. That was that was the film for me as far as uh, as far as indie films. Um, okay. Of course, there's some others, um, you know, that were, I guess, indie. I mean, Usual Suspects is another one. Um, mm-hmm. Was that indie at the time? I think it was. What are we qualifying on indie? Is there a preferred definition for what an independent film is? I think it has to like not be backed by a studio. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, yeah. so it can't have like Paramounts or right. You know, yeah. Can't have one of these like hundred million dollar here. Sure, I have a couple. <laughs> have <laughs> some me, budget. Yeah. Have fun. <laughs> my old like self definition of indie film is if I have to go to like there's a there was a theater in in Raleigh uh, called the Rialto. <laughs> Or uh, here in no, Durham, yeah. Or here, here in Durham is the uh, Carolina Theater. It's not like the big, you know, AMC's or the, you know, the big chain multiplex. To me, that's like the independent film. Absolutely. <laughs> um, have you guys ever heard of the movie Drinking Buddies? No. No. So it's with um, Olivia Wilde. Um, oh man, I'm blanking on his name now. Um, but Nick from New Girl. What is his name? What is his name? He was also in Jurassic World. Anyway, not so not the point. But <laughs> <laughs> Anna Kendrick is in it too. Mm-hmm. And it's just this um what I understand about the movie and the behind the scenes is just as interesting as the story itself is they just had sketched out scenes. And then they let the actors play their characters in these scenes. And basically everything was ad lib. And it's about these four friends who two of them are coworkers and drink a lot. So quote unquote, drinking buddies. And it's that complexities of male and female relationships, especially when you're a best friend, but your best friend is also engaged or married and how that attraction works in that situation and why it stands out to me is because it has one of the most authentic moments I've seen in film in a very long time between um, the two main characters and just this hurt and betrayal and even though there wasn't a script and I know it was unscripted And I think that had to do with why it felt so genuine because I could tell nobody wrote those pauses or the way they said that line that just came naturally and in the moment. So I recommend that if you guys are all curious. Yeah, Um, I'm really curious now. I feel like um, I've heard that. So, hmm. so as an actor, like we get the opportunity to improv a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, typically what happens is we'll do it a scripted way and then depending on the director's level of trust <laughs> and the chemistry <laughs> of the actors, they'll say, okay, now have fun with it. You know, let's, let's just do one and see what happens, you know, because sometimes you do get that genuineness that comes from really listening to what the other person is saying mm-hmm. and then reacting to it as opposed to trying to remember your lines or making sure that you hit the right words. Um, about being so present. I think, so I think there is something to be said about, like, if you know the story well enough, you can riff on it for sure. Huh. Um, 
On other cases, I feel like it's really risky to have an entire <laughs> film like that. Hey, Gladiator apparently did it and it won an Academy Award. Yeah, this, this, wasn't the original like, wasn't the original Ghostbusters that way? Just let Bill Bill Murray and Hal Ramis they just played off each other. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, if you have really talented like improv actors, comedians especially, mm-hmm. like yeah, trust them for sure. Like trust them, let them let them have fun, do their thing. That's why they're famous for what they do. But to make an entire film like that, I think is really. I mean. From from an indie perspective, there are directors I've worked with that have that same approach. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is a story. This is the gist. These are the notes we want to hit. This is a relationship, you know, situations we want you guys to find yourselves in. But a lot of times, if there isn't chemistry between the actors, or if they're not experienced with improv, or you know, for a variety of reasons, you end up just wasting a lot of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I can, I can, yeah, I can totally picture that train wreck. That's what happened on Han Solo, right? We're yeah, not talking yeah. about that. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. I think those guys were accustomed to, right? Because they did animated, they did the Lego movie, yep. 21 Jump Street. So, yeah, I, I feel like I've read that their style is a little bit more improvised and a little less scripted. Um, yeah. yeah. But I think they weren't adhering to the schedule that disney lucas films wanted for them no they they have a yeah. very regimented it seems they even with rogue one i believe uh with the uh, garth edwards i think they brought in someone mm-hmm. to help finish rogue one for that very reason right they kind of oversaw and micromanaged his directing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, by the numbers it's a branch- yeah, it's a franchise, and you have a brand. You're not just selling one story or one concept. You're adding to an already established concept and vision of what this universe is and what this brand is about. So if you're not going to fall in line, you got to go. But I think that's why with indie filmmaking, it gives more opportunities for other stories to be told And simpler stories like the movie Take Care, which you can find on Amazon. And I discovered uh, about a year ago and I watched it twice in like back to back days. And I don't do that often. I really don't. But this is a movie and it's a very simple story. It's an offbeat comedy. It stars Leslie Bibb and Thomas Sue. Sandusky from Dawn from the Newsroom. I know characters. I don't know actors' names very well. Um, But they have that chemistry that you were talking about before, Jackie, where Mm -hmm. you just want to watch them in this apartment for days. And she has, like, a broken arm and a broken leg, and she needs somebody to take care of her, and she ends up calling her ex-fiance. And then it's just about how through this period of time of him having to take care of her, you figure out why their relationship deteriorated mm-hmm. and who they've become since then and who they're both trying to be. And it's a very simple story, but it, it hit me in a way that um, you couldn't, I don't think you could have had been you couldn't have gotten that if it was backed by like a lot of money and a lot Mm -hmm. of effects. Like it was, it was meant for the small screen Mm. indie style. 
Yeah. There's some stories that are just so much more effective in a smaller format like that, you know, because they're personal stories or they're everyday, like you and me living our lives, like dealing with whatever it is that we deal with kind of stories. So I feel like when you distort that with a big budget with, you know, special effects or overly beautiful looking people, I feel like there's an element that takes you out of that story. So mm-hmm. it's not as relatable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jackie, what's, um, other than, other than looking into the fire, what's your, what's your favorite, uh, indie film? <laughs> um, no, I, I've only recently, I have to admit, I've only recently gotten into the indie scene because before when I wasn't an actor, um, I just didn't really know how to access them. I only saw what was at the local theater. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the movies that I saw recently that's been getting a lot of buzz was called Tangerine. Did you guys see that? I've heard of no. it. So Tangerine, um, it it premiered at Sundance. I think it was like last year or the year before. The reason I saw it was because, one, everyone said it was good. But two, it was entirely shot on an iPhone. Huh. Oh. And <laughs> that premise like, really like intrigued me. I was like, hmm, how, how good can this be, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. It was actually really good. So Tangerine is a story of a of a prostitute. Um, she goes to jail and she comes out and she finds out that her um, her boyfriend has been cheating on her with another woman. And so she like roams the streets with her her friends um, trying to like figure out who this girl is and. It's kind of one of those like underbelly of society sort of movies, and you see like the nitty gritties of the streets, and um, there's not a whole lot of censorship that happens. Um, the style of filming was very in your face, very saturated, <laughs> very animated. Um, I don't know. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really well done for being on a iPhone, and you could tell also. I don't know how much of it was improvised and how much of it was scripted, but I do get like a genuine sense from it. And the casting was done really well. Um, yeah, I would, I would, it's, it's a different sort of movie. I wouldn't say I'd watch it like, you know, multiple times, but it was kind of cool watching it the first time. Um, another movie that I liked was, this is a, I don't know when this came out, Perks of Being a Wallflower. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I watched it because I saw, Emma Watson. I was like, Hermione's in another movie. Uh, but she was so good in it that within like the first 10 minutes, I was like, she's not Hermione Granger. She's this person. Was, I don't know. I thought it was a fantastic example of like just really good coming of age acting um, from a person that I went into the film knowing nothing about it, having my own personal biases of how I thought her character should be <laughs> just based on her previous roles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She just blew me away, and I got caught up with the story. So, yeah, I think, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Did you guys know that Terminator was considered an indie film? I read that recently, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, and it just blew me away when I read that. Uh, I think me it was, too. I think it was like Empire or something like that where I I, I was, um, I saw that, and, and, um, yeah, I was like Terminator, really? But I know you think of it as like this like huge blockbuster franchise, yeah. but the original one wasn't. It was made on like a six million dollar budget. Yep. 
Yeah. 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 James Cameron was like an up and comer. Arnold Schwarzenegger, no one knew who he was. Nope. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah, it's like the Conan. It's like, yeah, he's just like, you know, I think prior to that, I mean, I had, obviously it was, I think, Conan the Barbarian, but mm-hmm, I think Arnold mm-hmm. made his, you know, real big debut with uh, the movie Pumpkin Iron. Yeah. Which was, yeah. you know, also had Lou Ferrigno and uh, several other people uh, right, in there right, as well. Right. Yeah. But having, like, even having an established actor doesn't preclude it from being an indie film. A lot of these indies have name actors in mm-hmm. them. Right. Uh, yeah. But just, they... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that a lot of... It's interesting that some of the stars today, that the names you recognize more often... If you look in their filmography, you go back and you see that time that they were in the indie circuit and you go back and discover those movies because of them. Like Jennifer Lawrence, yeah. it's like her and Winter's Bone. If you oh, haven't seen the Winter's so Bone. Oh, God, I have seen it. That's another one of my favorites. Oh, it's so yeah. good. And that, that is a good her. starting place. And it's crazy that she started there and to see how her career has just gone up and down and up and down since then. Mm. A lot more ups, but some yeah. downs like joy. Come on. No, <laughs> <laughs> I watched that on a flight. Um, Cause it was no. one of the free flights available, free movies available. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I'll watch it. I was I out fell asleep. so fast. Oh yep. my God. <laughs> fell asleep. So boring, but. Oh, okay. I wanted so much more from it. I was like, I love her and I love Bradley Cooper together, but come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they had um, the director behind it, who I'm forgetting, but he directed her in American. Yeah, I'm not going to play this game. It's too late at night for me, but <laughs> long history there. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. American Hustle, right? Yes, American, yeah, Hustle. American Hustle. And he did yeah. The Wrestler. And he did, I feel like he did another movie. Oh, of course. Obviously, Silver Linings Playbook. David O. Oh, Russell. Yeah. So it was like the trilogy. And so you're going <laughs> into joy thinking it's going to be the uh, cherry on top. And you're watching it like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm to make a mop. <laughs> a mop can only be so exciting. Yeah. yeah, seriously. It's not joy. It's mop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's been great having yeah. you on the show tonight, Jackie. Yeah, thanks so much. This is fun. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell people where they can find you? Uh, where they can – oh, social media. Yeah. So yeah. I am all over social media. I'm on Twitter, at Jax Dallas, J-A-X-D-A-L-L-A-S. My Instagram handle is exactly the same, at Jax Dallas. Um, I'm on Facebook under Jackie Dallas. Um, I have an actor's page also, which I think is at the end of the whole Facebook slash thing. It's Jackie Dallas actress. Um, I have a YouTube channel, but it's kind of boring. It just has like my work, nothing too personal. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like the random commercials that I do and stuff, short films, um, and then I've got a website, which is JackieDallas.com, and I try and keep that pretty updated. Fancy. Um, <laughs> so no, we'll, no, yep. What will? Ah, so no, no shortage of places to find you. Yeah. 
and after you found Jackie, where can you find Will? You can find me <laughs> at uh, on Twitter at Will M. Polk. That's W-I-L-L-M-P-O-L-K. Yep, and you can find me on Twitter at SJ Belmont, S-J-B-E-L-M-O-N-T. Please go ahead and follow our crew on Twitter at Scene and Nerd. Friend us on Facebook, but most importantly, go to iTunes and SoundCloud to rate, subscribe, and comment. Again, thank you so much, Jackie. We yeah. look forward to having you on again in the future. And I, yeah, I say yeah. to you all, good night, geek out. You're welcome. Good night.